We're not going to reveal exactly what you did to win the dance-off. I showed my nana undies. <laughs> you are shameless. shameless. I just thought there was only one way I could win this, and that was to start stripping. I find the whole thing completely weird and so disappointing. And obviously he has, on paper, done a fantastic job, but the suggestions that have come from this player's survey have been his undoing. He was bullied terribly as a teenager. He has always been a bit of a loner and turned to the internet as a friend, as so many do. This is a horrible television show, and yet it is absolutely smashing the ratings. There is nothing remotely nice or altruistic or positive about these people. They are trying to be famous. It's the first time in nearly 80 years that the government has been defeated on its own legislation, Carol. I mean, that is humiliating in itself. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. It's that time of the week again, everybody. Welcome to episode 72 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. I'm here with my dear friend, Corrie Perkin, who has had a very big week. Good morning, Corrie. Good morning, Caro. Good morning, Potties. This is, we've both had a huge week. We've got so much we need to talk about. It's been a massive news week. So much going on in sports, so much going on in politics, so much going on around the world. I've seen not one, not two, but three movies this week, Corrie. I have picked up your mantle of seeing every Oscar-nominated movie and running with it. And that also suggests to me that the footy season has not started yet. Well... It, it, it's, Although you have a you have a real knack for going to see lots of movies during the football season, I will. Well, Kari, you don't just watch football games during the football season. I mean, there are other. We do have other lives. You you don't only sell books. You do manage to do other things, and you have this week. Um, I think you might have even won a dance competition. But anyway, more of that later. Um, and I'm going to segue the movies into the good local tip, which is yours this week, not mine, but it is a good local tip, to an interesting email from one of our listeners, Nicole Darcy. Now, Nicole um, was concerned when I spoke about weight loss goals, the three words for this year, lose weight finally. She felt that um, when she listens to us or sees pictures of us both, she sees too smart. Thank you, Nicole. Strong, thank you. Successful, beautiful, Nicole. Nicole. Nicole, get your glasses you. fixed. Fitch, well, I mean, not, caring, in, not in my case, of course, in Caro's case. Women. Oh, <laughs> Gee, that's a nice bitchy opening start to the podcast. Um, anyway, she aspires to be in the place that we're in. Dare, I, dare she say we are role models. So she was disappointed to hear me talking about weight loss and dieting. She finds it upsetting. She's sorry to put this burden on our shoulders, but she thinks that language on this topic does affect women and that language is changing. Now, look, I just think everything within reason, Nicole. I'm pretty happy with my life and the way I am, but I'd be a lot happier five kilos less. And to that end, Corrie, good local tip, four o'clock, five o'clock movies. Yes, because you don't eat cheese and biscuits when you, you get you home miss, from work. You miss that sort of terrible period where you feel like a drink or you feel like a biscuit and cheese. In your case, because you're doing FebFast, it's the time when you usually want a little glass of wine or something. And I went on my annual February date with um, our friend Mike Sheehan the other night and we went and saw a brilliant film, although I think I liked it more than he did, but I'll talk about that in a moment. We went in at 10 to 5. We came out at 7 o'clock. That was, I didn't need anything after that. I was completely sustained by the movie. What do two Melbourne football writers do during the summer season? They go to the pictures together. Oh, how romantic. Nicole, I I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. And um, I don't think that it should be a focus of anyone's life. And we're not going to be banging on about weight loss all year. Don't worry. Nicole, can I just add to that, that my father died of a heart attack at 45. And I come from um, genetically a rather large family. So for health reasons, I'm always banging on about my weight. It's not, well, it is probably a little bit vanity driven to truth be told, but really I just don't want to end up like my two grandfathers. Uh, One was 19 stone and one was 20. And my dad, as I said, died of a heart attack young. So I have to really watch my weight. So when I talk about going on diets and everything, I promise potties, it's not because I want to be um, you know, on the cover of Vogue. Those days are long gone. If indeed, Carrot, they ever existed as a possibility for Corey, me. I th- unlike <laughs> your rather nasty comment, I think you look fabulous. <laughs> oh, don't give we've me got, the shits. We've Listen, got... can I just say on the topic of food, my friend Jane, I have many friends whose name is Jane, and this one knows who she is. She, We were having a bit of a text to and fro this week, and one of the texts came through, meant to say, I made Caro's chicken sandwiches 
winner, exclamation mark. They all thought I should go into the catering business. And then we had a bit of, you know, email, uh, texting then. And then she said, I can't find the prawn pillows though. So Jane and anybody else who's looking for the prawn pillows recipe, it is on our Facebook page. I think I'm looking at Miss Jane, our producer, for help here. But we will, I think we should uh, redo the prawn pillow recipe and pop, yes, pop it might, up again. I might, have to, I might have to dredge that one up again. We've, speaking of, we've got a very topical recipe this week, Corrie. Two words, Tony Mockbell. It's a Tony Mockbell-themed recipe. Um, read Tassie Footy. We received a lovely uh, Facebook message from Mel Foley who agrees with my assessment of the um, North Melbourne-Tasmania Kangaroos, the AFLW team, who is bringing all before them. They're sort of like North Melbourne back in the 70s, Corey. Remember when um, Ron Joseph exploited the new 10-year rule and every great player, mm. you know, from Doug Richardson. To- no, he didn't go to North Melbourne. I thought he did. No, no, but, but there were people like Doug Wade and Stan Alves, and anyway, they basically won two flags on the basis of that and went from the bottom and never having won a flag to winning two in a very short time. Well, they've done that with their women's team, but she says um, that we should... She encourages our idea of a people's movement to get a Tassie AFL team, and she thinks the AFL have rocks in their heads with their resistance to Tassie and it. She agrees it's a pity that North Melbourne have really taken over that team, even though it was meant to be a hybrid. And Justin Unwin wants to ask you, Corrie, did any of your friends actually give you a book for Christmas after your bleating that no one ever gives you a book? Yes, and the one that I told you and Anna that I was hoping I would receive, I actually did receive from Young Coco, so that was really lovely. What was that? Uh, That was the British, all the British loveys who worked with the National Theatre, the letters of correspondence between them and the various directors and everything. Oh, which you spoke about. Oh, good (laughs) on you, Coco. Coco was listening. (laughs) She was. And Justin wants to add on Marie Kondo. More on Marie next week and a very interesting innovation from the Sacred Heart Mission, where, of course, Anna from the op shop works, but also Anna's sister works at another version of the Sacred Heart Mission. They've got a big event coming up. But Justin says he just watched Marie Kondo showing how to tidy up a desk in the office. Surely, he says, this is a joke, thanking your broken stapler for service. (laughs) Just clean your bloody desk. I do agree, (laughs) Justin. Um, Natalie Burke, uh, one of our potties, Caro, sent a message of via message via our Facebook page to say, sad news, Rosamond Pilcher died on the 6th of oh, February 2019. No. I oh, didn't know that. Oh, look. I did, well, she, she just died last week. Yes, Valet Rosamond, ago. and thank you for all your delightful books. For those who haven't heard Caro go on and on and on about if it's not Mary Stewart, it's Rosamond Pilcher's books, but it is very sad when one of our prolific and lovely writers um kicks the literary bucket, so that's very sad news. But I would also like to just mention, um, Cara, that Natalie um, very... um, I I thought she argued the case really well about... She was questioning why the Victorian Premier's Literary Prize was given to a man who is on Manus Island for his very fine... Um, very fine memoir, I should say, or life living on Manus Island. And I just have to say that I do tend to side with Natalie. I'm very confused when the criteria for a literary award is played around with. I think we should always honour the actual uh, award criteria. And in this case, the Premier's Literary Award is supposed to be given to an Australian national. Now, the judges in this case argued with the Department of Premier and Cabinet and also the organisers of the prize that they felt that because this author had been um, in Almanus Island for five years, that he was seeking refugee status and that he was deserving of this award. So the judges actually asked to change the criteria in this case, and apparently the Department of Premier and Cabinet said, yes, that's okay. So the ins and outs, I suppose we could argue forevermore whether he was eligible or not, but... Um, yeah, there you go. So I just thought I'd mention that, Natalie, because I really appreciated your Facebook feedback on that one. More on border protection in a moment because it's looming as a massive election issue. Now, goal of the month, how are you going with your walking? What's your average step count to date? Okay, so my first week, Caro, I just added this up here this morning. I'm just looking. So as you know, to do my uh, 1,000 miles, which is 1,600 kilometres for the year, I have to do 4.4 k's a day. Last week, which means 30.8 kilometres a week. How many Last steps week, is that? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Last week I did 31.5 kilometres of actual dedicated walking. That's not just 
having in my phone in my pocket, walking. yeah, no, yep. going up to the buy a coffee or something. So that's actual walking. So I'm one, less, slightly less than one k in the bag. So <laughs> that's handy because this week I haven't done a lot of walking. That's good. So I'm going to have to have a couple of days of massive, you know, a couple of ten day ten k stints. I think. Well, we did that wonderful walk up to Point Nepean one day. Remember, and I was so cross because I left my phone in the car, so I couldn't measure it. But my yearly average to date is eight thousand steps. Oh, that's very good. I know, but that includes everything, incidental walking. But that I don't always have my phone on me, well, so yeah. I reckon I'm doing well. And Anna from the Opie is trying to do 10,000 steps a day. Well, that's what we should all be aspiring to. We should to, all be Corrie. aspiring to that. And how are you going with your no shopping? And am I allowed to tell Potties what you told me you were going to do on the 1st of March when you, when you could shop, when you allowed yourself to shop for clothes? Well, I'm going on a hike to Wilson's Prom, as you know. No, well, you said you were going to buy a new dress for my son Will's wedding. Yes, yes. But I said you couldn't do it this month because you'd promised the podcast that you wouldn't shop. Well, I've got time, Corrie. I've got time. Look, I, I haven't. I've been good on the no shopping, but I did discover a great secondhand bookshop in Queenscliff last week for Pete's sake, and I did ask some. I asked the fatal. Is that the name of it for yeah, Pete's sake? Yeah. Oh, what a great name! I, and Pete, who is in fact called Pete. And wouldn't you mean a, Pete the owner? Me, me and our friend Annie had a very enjoyable half hour there. I asked the fatal question: Do you have any Mary Stewarts? I walked out with seven <laughs> Mary Stewarts. Several first he they weren't first editions. Have you read them? I've You've read, read some of them. I've read some of them, but I thought it'd be lo- lovely to have this collection um, in my um, shelf. And I'm and one of them I'm reading at the moment, which I haven't read. My brother Michael. So. I bought secondhand books, which you don't mind because you just want people to buy books, exactly. don't you? Exactly. You book, don't care where object. they buy them. No, preferably with me. But yes. <laughs> but I mean, you know. These no, were... books as objects, that's how – you might be going for the Tassie, Tassie, Tasmania having an AFL team. My thing is to get people off their screens and back into their books as object. I have eyed off a beautiful – pink Johnny was dress that um, a friend of ours, Mary, was wearing the other day that I was very envious of. And you know what you could I do? I did check whether they had it in my size. Luckily, it was sold out. Luckily. Yeah, if you saw something you liked for William's wedding, you could actually, you could pay me a hundred bucks to go and buy it for you. And that could be my Corey, that is ridiculous. What and I... then you could actually tell the podcast people, no, no, I haven't <laughs> bought anything new in the terms of outfits in February. Now, Corrie, I'm dubbing last the week gone as the week of celebrations. I attended um, a 20 anniversary dinner of Brian Cook. The um, he's been a former crush of the week on this show. He um, is, is the chief executive of the Geelong Football Club. He's been in that job 20 years. Before that, he was 10 years at the West Coast Eagles. Um, he's an unbelievable servant of the AFL. He's an absolute gun. He's got in total five Such a nice person. I remember having dinner with him um, at our friend Annie, who you mentioned before, yeah, lov- years and years ago. Lovely bloke. And this is a sign of a man who is at, at ease with his life. He was there with his part, beautiful partner, Claire. Both his former wives were there. His first AFL football coach, VFL David Parkin, was there, even though David Parkin never gave him a senior game at Hawthorne. His premiership coach from captain from West Coast, John Worsfold, made the drive to Geelong, even though he now coaches Geelong. The Hawthorne chairman, Jeff Kennett, was there. Former premiers were there, like Ted Bailey. Um, there was he should go into politics, especially if he gets his two former wives in the one room together. Yeah, thank them both, and all his kids. What a were diplomat! There. He's the Madeleine Albright of the AFL. He made the most heartfelt speech, particularly about his first wife and thanking her for bringing up the children. That he was a little bit of an errant father. You know, he spent too much time focusing on his career. He spoke about values. There were great Geelong players, from Joel Selwood to Cameron Ling. There were panels. It was just an unbelievable night. Not many people from the AFL there, although Gillan McLaughlin was there and Stephen Hocking, who of course heads footy now, but was his great foot, footy lieutenant at Geelong. It was a wonderful night and um, Ian Collins was there, the former great AFL administrator who was given a big dedication. Only three journos, so I was honoured to be asked. I also attended, as you did, your daughter-in-law's to-be hen's party. What an occasion that was. Mm, what a bad day to be not <laughs> drinking, Caroline Wilson. Well, I still enjoyed myself. I was <laughs> um, a cheap shout, as I have been for a while now. Oh, look, little Lib, welcome to the family. 
as Darren Kinneborough's father once <laughs> said, Grace Kinneborough said at that wedding we as went you, to. As you said several times. <laughs> the underbelly wedding. Welcome yeah. to the family. Yeah, we did We did go to an underbelly wedding many years ago. And your daughter Rose uh, was um, a flower girl. Yes, it's a and long... And we are all filmed by the federal police. Anyway, that's a long story. I think we're still on ASIO tapes. <laughs> but anyway, that's a long, that's a long, a long story that when we for got, another when, time. I just love the fact when you and I got to work at The Age the next week, John Sylvester Slive of the Underworld said, oh yeah, I've seen the footage, you know, you're both on it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Anyway, it's such an interesting for, weddings are such big things now, aren't they? I mean, there were so many occasions surrounding the wedding. Well, the lovely it's thing, such a wonderful the, celebration. Look, hens, as we know through popular culture, can be tacky, and this was certainly not one of those occasions. And if you do a good, if you do a hens well, gosh, it's a wonderful, cohesive, happy, happy day. First of all, it brings together the the maid, the the, the sorry, the bride and her maids. And also family members, and in your case, uh, godparents. And so there are a few oldies, not many, but there are 30 of us around a table having a beautiful lunch, and everybody moved around. So we all get to meet Lib's friends. Now, some of them I know, but a lot of them from childhood and so on, I haven't had the pleasure to meet. All gorgeous girls. They, of course, in turn got to meet us. Uh, which was, you know, lovely. And to introduce Will's godmother was a real honour. And it was just so much fun, Caro. But you did miss the best bit. We Afterwards, we went back to uh, someone's place and... I was uh, there. I was there for a while, but yes. I wasn't there for the dance. And, and we had we had the the lovely video where you asked the groom, you know, what what are the various aspects of your bride and so on, and you know she would answer, and then we'd play the video with Will, and of course he got most of them wrong, which was hilarious, and that's always fun. But then we had the visit from Art Simone, the Melbourne drag performer of the year. We had a drag queen and you'd left by that stage. Yeah, well, I've seen her perform at another Hens, actually, late last year. <laughs> she gets around the old art. She does. And <laughs> she was she's outperformed by the bride, though. I totally, hear. totally. So the girls had dressed up. Before Art arrived, uh, the girls had dressed Lib up in a kind of a Priscilla Queen of the Desert costume with sequins and so on. And she was loving herself and we were loving her and we were all dancing to Mamma Mia and different songs and so on, dancing queen, everything. And then the drag queen arrives, which apparently what normally happens is brides are so overwhelmed or hens, they sit on the chair, they're embarrassed, oh my God, they're the centre of attention, and the drag queen performs around them. Not in this case, little Lib was up dancing (laughs) with her, really took it up to her. But I just wanted to say one thing, I wrote this the other day just on my iPhone because I was told at the last minute that I might say a few words, which is always an honour, and I wrote this and I think actually this is how a lot of women in my situation feel with their sons when their son meets a wonderful girl and decides to marry. And this is what I said. When your son proposes to the woman of his dreams, you never quite expect she will also be the woman of your dreams. That's how Checker, Coco and myself feel about Lib. And that's how we do. And, of course, my daughters were there at the hens as well. They got a little bit tipsy. I had to go home and babysit the babies, left Checker dancing the night away. I don't know what time any of them got home. So we're not going to reveal exactly what you did to win the dance-off? I showed my nana undies. (laughs) I thought thought there's only one way. You are shameless. I just thought there was only one way I could win this, and that was to start stripping. And I suggested to Jen, who's Lib's gorgeous mother, if we take our clothes off, we've got this in the bag. And she went, no way. So I just sort of you know, kind of lifted. And one of my daughters said, you flashed your gash. I went, I did not. I had Nana undies on. That's totally impossible when you're wearing those. I'm, I, I what was I drinking? What was I, I thinking? I take my hat off to you, Corrie. I take <laughs> my hat off to you. And, you know, all the dimpled legs. No dimpled legs. I'm so glad that sis, um, Lib's gorgeous sister and the chief bridesmaid said, no, no one's filming the mother's dancing, okay? No one's doing it. Thank God. Sis, you oh, saved yes, me that this, one. This predilection to film everything. Now, Caro, just quickly, you went to um, a reunion of your um, one of our favourite rock bands and your friend Deb Conway's Do Re Me. I was at the Corner the Hotel before. on the eve of the Hens in Richmond, watching Do Re Me strut, strut their stuff after a very, very long time. Could, Deb you, was, could you still pogo around the room? Well, Caro? there was. I didn't pogo, but 
have arthritis but these no, days. No, no, I don't have arthritis. I just danced. <laughs> I danced or not. It was fantastic. But, you know, these it's, it advertisers are starting at 8.30, but the main gig doesn't come on till 10.45. So it was oh, a very late night. We started we'll be having late my chamomile tea and my gym jams at that oh, stage. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. And people just adore Deb. I mean, people have followed her every move for all this time. Deservedly so. She's a wonderful performer. We might get her on the podcast. In oh, the let's few weeks. do that. Let's do She's that. Very, there was a very nice, well, very interesting and very well-written article about her in the Good Weekend a few weeks ago by Melissa Fife. Um, but anyway, Do Re Me was great. It's reformed as an all-girl band. So Helen Carter, the bass player from the original band, because of course I was living with Deb when Do Re Me was formed. So I feel as though I know I haven't seen Helen for years. She now works in aged care and gave a shout out to her organisation. <laughs> But they got they got together this wonderful band. That it shows how old we all the are. The drummer Julia was fantastic. Cleo, the keyboard player, the lovely Cleo from Rock Quiz, and the lead guitarist was fabulous. So they were great. And are Deb's daughters, a, the wonderful singing trio, are they in the band at all? No, but they were all there. They were all there, and including Sid, who is just well, they're they're all brilliant performers. I mean, they Sid, are brilliant singers. Sid, Sid is um, going to be a star, and Alma. Deb's middle daughter is the most, oh, she's one of the most beautiful singers I've ever heard. Anyway, that's another story. So that was a good night. And you, I didn't have Foxtel on hand the other night and I was shattered to realise I was missing the BAFTAs, which I've taped, your favourite awards night of the year. I sensed your anguish on our WhatsApp group. You were quite pissed off about that. I was, I was. I was watching a rerun of (laughs) <laughs> Dare I admit it? Midsummer murders. <laughs> anyway, I, look, I admit it. All right, I was doing work. You're at the a same versatile time. lass. You go from Dore me at the pub to uh, Midsummer murders. I do love a Barnaby mystery. Anyway, and it was it was the original one with John Nettles, where all the characters are very much white bread and butter, sort of you know blonde, and oh. it, they're all so horrible. So Monday night we all had a little bit of a hangover issue. So I cooked up a whole pile of greens, and Lib, who's down from Sydney for the week, she came in stayed the night. Coco came over. She was needing a bit of motherly love. And the three of us sat and watched the BAFTAs. Francesca was up in Ballarat also cursing the fact that she's she doesn't have um, Foxtel like you. Yeah. Um, the setting, of course, is one of the highlights always, the Royal Albert Hall. And as you know, Caro, the BAFTAs for me are just so far and above the Academy Awards, um, the Los Angeles event, which happens in a couple of weeks. However, this one was a bit flat and I can't quite put my finger on it. A lot of people are saying that Joanna Lumley's performance was a train wreck, but I thought she was just given a really weak and appalling script. She brings to the stage a real presence and an aura and she's very dignified. And she gets the royals and and the whole kind of lords and ladies and all of that sort of stuff really, really well. Her etiquette is impeccable. But the jokes were a bit bit flat. Joke a bit off key, the KKK joke? Look, a little bit. And I think think a a number of um, people in the audience, particularly uh, the American contingency, some of them would have been a bit offended. But to be absolutely honest with you, it was in a series of flat jokes that she was making. So it was another flat joke. I don't think so much it was people like, oh, that was inappropriate. It was just that it really fell flat. But some of the highlights for me were Olivia Coleman's speech was just befuddled, warm, wonderful. Twitter and... and loved her black and white oh, outfit Twitter too. and Facebook went off because they just loved the way that she was so... Yeah, the, the outfit was great. Who would but, have known that grisly cop from um, Broadchurch... Could look oh, could so, end up being oh. such. But but what? A, but we knew that. You know, Coco and I were saying the other night that that first episode of Broadchurch when she came into our lives, Coco and I remember looking at each other, going, "Wow, she is an amazing actor." So there you go. Picked it early. But other highlights would be Rami Malek's very gracious speech when he run won best. You still actor haven't seen it. Have his you? performance. You haven't seen either. Freddie of those Mercury. Movies, have you? I've seen no movies. Don't rub it in. Well, you. That's a. That's pathetic. No offense, but you've had plenty. What do you mean of time. that's pathetic? No offense. You've had, you had a few weeks. Whack you bouquet. Had a, a Always few weeks off. You're Wilson. a movie Whack lover. Bouquet. You're a Hate movie you, lover. McGuire, but love, you know, love no, your No, no, no. But, Corrie, you yeah. you've got to see these films. I you will. would love the favourite. Caro, Caro, it's very quiet in the bookshop and we've cut shifts and I'm working very hard, so shush up. Now, the other thing, um, which it's was... on all January, but anyway. <laughs> which was really good to see was the rise and rise of Netflix. Finally, Netflix and yes. its work has been acknowledged through Roma. And I did want to say, a bit sad, no Lady Gaga, but beautiful outfits. I think the one who stole the show was the Duchess of Cambridge. Kate looks stunning in this romantic cream, one-shouldered gown, floaty skirt, very Grecian. 
and she had Diana's earrings on, which what I about rather loved. And, about? and Rachel Weiss looked great in cream tulle. Not a lot of people can carry off the meringue look, and Rachel did. I thought she looked great, but I still think, as good as she was in the favourite, those who've seen it, Emma Stone, it was Emma wrong, Stone looked, not to win the well, Oh, I see. Role. Yeah, well, uh, there was a bit of um, discussion about that um, on, on social media. Hometown she was favourite, robbed. perhaps? Um, well, I think probably it was a nod to the English that night. Um, I couldn't stand Margot, Margot Robbie's outfit. She looked like Jane Jetson I meets know. Liberace. It She's was so absolutely beautiful. Wacko. What was she thinking? Wacko. But what about Kate Blanchett's dress? I loved that dress. Yes, and I didn't mind her now with her new brunette hair. Oh, isn't, isn't it funny, though, that she's not as kind of ethereal looking now that she's dyed her hair that colour. Must be for some particular role. And I did want to do a shout out to Richard E. Grant who was up for a nominate. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Your Instagram friend. My Instagram <laughs> friend who liked my comment the other day. Hi Richard. How Will you? you ever forgive me? Was he nominated yeah, for he that? Was yeah, nominated, he was nominated but he didn't, he didn't win sadly. But he looked absolutely tremendous in this long Evening coat. I mean, I love a man's long evening coat. It's a t- it's a it's a nod to a Beau Brummel kind of. Particularly time. if you're sort of skinny like he is. Oh yes, and he just was in the front. They put him in the front row. He was a bit like the Jack Nicholson of the Oscars ten years ago. You know, they sort of deferred to him quite a bit. So look, I loved a Caro, and that was uh, the Except week that it was. was. A bit, it was a bit flat. Scott Morrison is clearly going to focus border protection as a big election issue. There was a, for, for those who want all those poor children to be given proper medical treatment, it was great news for them with that vote in Parliament this week. But um, do you think that it's going to work for him? Well, it's, it's clearly an election coming up well, very soon. It, look, the, you've, you know, the, fir- the first thing that you have to say is that it's the first time in nearly 80 years that the government has been defeated on its own legislation, Caro. I mean, that is humiliating in itself. But I worry is it a short-term gain for the Labor Party and, uh, well, and I think, a long-term I, I think win the for Libs, the Libs? The Libs are sensing... Um, a sensing public support here with this issue, aren't they? Well, it's in, it will be interesting to um, to see how it unfolds in the next couple of days. Clearly, border protection is now the election issue, as it was with the Tampa incident back in 2001, which happened in the August from memory. And then in September, of course, we had September 11. And then John Howard immediately took us to the polls. And I remember covering that election. I had to spend a week in the electorate of La Trobe, which was a marginal seat in Victoria, and the feeling on the ground very much was, oh, we don't want that lot coming in here. And so it was fear. And John Howard dro- drove a beautiful campaign because Kim Beasley, it was, you know, t- it was called early that it was going to be a close election, not by the end. So, children, children overboard. Yeah, but the really sad thing here, Caro, is that if the boats come and if people die at sea or are shipped off to Manison or Nauru, there'll be a group of Liberal ministers who will, will be rubbing their hands with glee and they will assume the election victory is theirs based on the devastation of people smuggling and let's hope it doesn't happen, but people dying at sea. I still think, Corrie, that the the, um, the banks issue and the, the damage to Scott Morrison's reputation, and I know he went AWOL and managed to distance himself from the findings and the recommendations last week. But the fact that, you know, I think that affects so many more Australians. I think, I what hope happened, you're right. What happened with people's superannuation? What happened to dead people? What happened with the children's dolomite accounts? That was a great story by Adele Ferguson. Um, the fact that, you know, the fact that the NAB still, Ken Henry is actually helping choose a new CEO. I mean, I think that that issue is going to hurt the government if, if Labor smart enough to focus on it. Um, why didn't Emma Hussa turn up to vote on the Medivac bill? I haven't I haven't got to the bottom of that yet. I think she's just a bit huffy still. I'm not sure. I still haven't got to the bottom of that. It's really quite interesting. But, Caro, look, just finally on that, on what is going to be the election issue, make no mistake, Scott Morrison, because this is his baby and it was when he was immigration minister, he is going hard on this. Just his language yesterday... The Australian people have looked at Bill Shorten today and they have found him weak, and he is. Bill Shorten and the Labor Party do do not have the metal. Um, This cannot be managed by the Labor Party. And then, of course, you know, dare I say Tony Abbott tweeted in. In his tweet, he said, under Labor, it's get on the boat, get to Nauru, get sick and get to Australia. 
which oh. I didn't actually think was a bad tweet. It was kind of sharpened to the point. Oh, for heaven's sake. Anyway, that lots to come. And gosh, Carol, we're going to have an interesting time politically in the next couple of months. Yeah, a lot to happen before it happens. Now, we'll move back to sport. And before we do, just my sliding doors moment of the week. Again, harking back to Brian Cook. Watching Gillan McLaughlin sitting at the table last week, head of the AFL, Brian Cook didn't get the job as football boss of the AFL back in the early 2000s. Andrew Demetriou did. And I just wonder how different things would have been had Brian Cook climbed the ladder to running the AFL. And I think in the end it was better for footy that he stayed at Geelong because he rebuilt the Geelong Football Club to the powerhouse it is today when they were $10 million in debt. He then knocked back the Gold Coast job and Gold Coast is floundering as a result. But I, And I do think had he gone to the Gold Coast that the AFL's 17th franchise might have actually been successful and not the dismal failure. That is, is, a, that, is that is long-range, back-range forecasting, isn't it? it well, but it's, so, it, it's just two pivotal moments. I think we'll look back in AFL history. A pivotal moment in Australian football, if you call soccer football history, was the sacking of Alan Stagekick last oh, week, the Carol, Matildas coach. It's just been amazing in his media conference. In fact, I think Miss Jane has a grab of Alan Stagekick's um, Media conference. The events of the last few weeks have devastated both me and my family. My career's in tatters and my reputation's been ruined. Such an extraordinary turn of events, given that the Matildas we held up as one of our shining lights of Australian sport. They win. Their, um, their absolute star performer, Sam Kerr, won the International Soccer Player of the Year um, in, in its inaugural award. Um, implications of, well, the reason he was sacked, and he hasn't really been told why he says, and people say he knows why and he's being a bit mischievous, he completely denies that. So David Gallup said to him that there was this players' poll run by the players' union where it unearthed massive cultural issues among the Matildas and the wider group of top-level soccer players in this country. Like what sort of cultural issues? That could range, that could be a raft Um, of things. Fat shaming, um, bullying, internal fight. He denies all of this. He completely denies all of this. Sam Kerr herself has come out and said she's shattered by this and she totally supports him. Mind you, key players often do this when it's not entirely genuine. I don't know whether I can only assume she is being genuine. Um, he is completely devastated. He broke his silence with that press conference the other day. He then went on um, Lee Sales on the 7.30 report. Didn't really say much, but it's clear he's ta- going to take legal issue against Matildas. This is months out of the next World Cup campaign. It completely staggers me and um, they don't have a new coach. Well, they have to let us all know what, what the allegations were and there has to be some sort of independent inquiry like Alan's asking for, well, surely. Well, clear, clearly at the moment, as he says, his reputation's in tatters and people are assuming the most dreadful things about his treatment of the players. But there's a parallel with Australian cricket. You know, they, they, they brought in an independent, uh, um, you know, they called investigation. It yeah, well, they did. They didn't actually listen to all of the recommendations and it ended up being their undoing. But at but least you, the public could hear them, Caro, but you which had is what this, we need here. Yeah, and you had this toxic situation with the Socceroos and Ange Postacoglu last year, which, and you know, he, he cracked the shits and ended up leaving and going to coach overseas. I, I find the whole thing completely weird and so disappointing. And, you know, obviously he is on paper done a fantastic job, but the suggestions that have come from this player's survey have been his undoing. Do you think there will be an independent investigation? Well, it it depends on whether the government steps in. I'm not sure whether they will in terms of funding and that sort of thing. Um, David Gallup clearly wants it to go away and doesn't want... There's many cases of coaches who've been sacked and, and never really told why. Guy McKenna at aforementioned Gold Coast is a classic example because I think um, Gold Coast would say they wanted to save his reputation. Now, whether there's a bit of that going on in this, I'm not sure. But one of the more um, confounding sports stories of the year, more to come. I hope so. I want to know what happened. Now, Corrie, you've got a crush this week. I do, Caro. I have a lovely crush. This is in the interest of Valentine's Day, okay, which is this week. Michael Kirby is my crush of the week. You Michael, love Michael Kirby. I do love Michael Kirby. Um, he served on the High Court from 1996 to 2009, and he this week married his partner of 50 years, 
and it was the 50th anniversary of their first meeting, their actual wedding day this week. He married his partner, Johan van Vlotten, and Johan and Michael have been together all this time. We know this because during the same-sex marriage campaign, and of course Michael Kirby was no longer on the High Court, he became a strong advocate of same-sex marriage, and because of his high standing and his extraordinary reputation in the community, he became an important voice in the Yes campaign. And so the couple met in Sydney on February 11, 1969. They decided to marry to show that their relationship is not, quote-unquote, second class. And um, in an interview with Radio National just before the wedding, uh, Mr Kirby said that he had a very funny anecdote about how they met at the Rex Hotel, one of Sydney's few gay venues in 1969. And he said, he being Johan, he came in about quarter to nine and the relationship that was made that night lasted from that moment on, really, and it's still going strong. So I thought it was very um, poignant that they did. A lot of advocates of gay marriage, uh, including David Ma, who we had on the book pod not long ago, they don't feel the need to get married. They're happy now, of course, that it's equal rights and so on, but they don't feel the need. But obviously Michael and Johan do. So happy wedding day, chaps, is what I say. It's a very good crush, Corrie, and we will move right in. Thank to, you, Caroline. To BSF, because um, I, as I said earlier, I did see three movies over the past week, and one of them, um, it, it's not about gay marriage in any way, but a key moment in the film Vice, which is just an unbelievable film, by the director of the film The Big Short and told in a similar way. Did you see The Big Short? Yes, I did. I loved The Big Short. Well, well, that style of filming is sort of the way he's told the story of the American Vice President Dick Cheney and his rise to power. This is a a Shakespearean epic of brilliant proportions. I did read an interesting piece the other day, somebody arguing that Christian Bale should win the Best Actor well, Oscar. He, well, he he won an award at the Golden Globes, didn't he? He is unbelievable as Dick Cheney. The entire cast is absolutely brilliant. I mean, Sam Rockwell as George W. Bush is unbelievably good. Um, oh, who's the bloke we love from The Office? Um, dark hair, Amer- oh, American um, actor. Yeah. No, 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 not Ricky Gervais. Um, anyway, it will come to me in a know, moment. He, he was in The Virgin. He plays he plays called. Donald Rumsfeld and he is Steve Carrell. Steve Carell. Sorry, thank Carole. you very much, Miss Jane. Who was also supposed to be playing um, Don in um, the Rosie Project? Anyway, go on. Oh yeah, what happened to that? Oh, don't mention the war. It hasn't come out yet. Not, no, I think I think the deal bombed. Anyway, go on. Well, anyway, it, it is it's fascinating. It's a very different style of filmmaking. If you're a right wing person, you might say it's liberal codswallop. Um, lefty codswallop. And in fact, the divisive nature of America and this film is highlighted in a very interesting ending at the end of the credits. Don't leave before the end of the credits. Um, But I would just say you have to see this film. And there is a moment, um, Dick Cheney is basically a drunken, dumb, ne'er-do-well. Who has a lot of of money invested in the arms and munitions industries. But in his early days, who is pushed by a very ambitious Lady Macbeth-style wife, who is portrayed absolutely brilliantly by Amy Adams. And um, he ends up being vice president of the United... And and the twists and turns this story takes. At one stage, he pulls out of politics because one of his daughters is gay um, and he decides not to um, make her exploit her or make her the focus of anything and protect her privacy. But then there is a Shakespearean change of heart towards the end of the film involving his other daughter that you just have to see to believe. Okay, no more. Go and see. Because you'll spoil it. Okay, on to the next one. I will. Um, On the Basis of Sex, which tells the story of Ruth Ginsburg, the first woman. Love her. um, The lawyer. Is it a bit lollipop, though? It's a bit lollipop. It's good. It's not great. I want to know more about Ruth Ginsburg, really the person. You do get to know her. She's brilliantly portrayed. It's a good performance by Felicity Jones. But there is also a documentary on Ruth and Which people say if you really want to. But look, it's a bit lollipop, but it is fascinating how they managed to change the equal opportunity, the equal opportunity rules in the Constitution of America by focusing on this sort of lovely but rather deadbeat man who wanted to get 
a, a tax cut for being a carer to his elderly mother and couldn't get it because he was an unmarried man. Fascinating story and really, really recommend that, although it's good, it's not great. And finally, Green Book, which again, you know, has people have raved about this. Green Book, of course, featured prominently in the BAFTAs the other night and won several awards. But I would just say go and see it for the acting performances alone. Oh, it, okay. It, it's, a, it's a story of a black musician who tours the Deep South and in the early 60s. And he has to hire a white he, minder, he hires, he? he? hires a white minder to drive him, and he's out of work. He got played brilliantly by Viggo Mortensen um, because um, the Copacabana in New York has closed down for a few weeks and or for a few months, and he needs to make enough money to support his family. So they, it's, it's a road movie. It is absolutely... And I imagine there's a bit of violence when they hit down south. Oh, Don Shirley is so brilliant as a black musician. And, yes, there is a bit of violence. Don Shirley, sorry, is the black musician. It's based on a true story. But Mahashala Ali, actually, I think he won the Best Supporting yes. Actor yes. at the Baptist the other night. So he three did. very good films, but Vice was a standout for me. And, you know, I do love a road movie, though, so I have to recommend Green Book. Now, you speaking of books, yeah, you've so got one. I have. And, and Cara, you and I are doing this for our own personal book club, uh, which is The Arsonist. A Mind on Fire by Chloe Hooper. Chloe Hooper is the Melbourne writer. Many people would be familiar with her work years ago, her book The Tall Man, which was about the death in custody on Palm Island. Did she write a children's book of true crime? That's the only one I've read. Uh, don't I think know. that was her first one. That was brilliant. She's won a couple about of, she's written a couple of novels, but The Tall Man won all the awards possible in Australia. Yeah. It just cleaned up and it's one of my favourite books. And I remember it was around the time I opened the bookshop 10 years ago and we had um, we had lots of sales and it was a wonderful one to recommend. This one also is a terrific one to recommend. At this anniversary time, the 10th anniversary of the Black Saturday fires that devastated so much of Victoria, Chloe has focused on the Churchill area, the Churchill National Park in Gippsland around the Moe, you know, kind of area. And she looks at the story of the young man or youngish man who was accused of lighting the fire and starting the fire that killed people and devastated um, thousands of hectares of um, which bush. was the focus of the Australian story, which we raved about. We did last indeed. Year. Oh, so, devil's advocate, is it a is it a bit depressing to have to read about this? Well, that's really interesting, Cara, because I have a personal interest in this, as you know. So as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, is this an easy one to sell generally to the public who weren't touched by Black Saturday in a tiny little way like I was? Or are completely traumatised and horrified by it? You know know what's interesting about this? It's the personal, and this is where Chloe is so clever. It's the personal story for me of this young man, Brendan Sokulak, who had... uh, emotional and mental disabilities as a child. He was bullied terribly as a teenager. He has always been a bit of a loner and turned to the internet as a friend, as so many do. So his Facebook pages and so on were slightly menacing and a bit aggressive because he was lonely. And um, did he light the fires deliberately or not? We will never be able to tell. Uh, You know, we won't know. But she brings to us this other side of the story. So, yes, she has the heroes at the Arson Squad and Vic Pohl and all of the people who work so hard to kind of bring this case together. There's a really wonderful um, section of this book that is dedicated to Brendan's legal counsel through Legal Aid. So we get all sides of the story, but for me it's the human heart, it's his story and just how, you know, when you're in a low-income area that's been devastated by um, economic recession, they've closed the local power station and so many people are out of work, the impact that it can have on one family's life. So well, it's a really good Helen Garner's about her, how Very she much. recreates a, a tragic incident and Very much. goes to the heart of it. They often say that, that she is uh, Helen Garner's successor. Helen Garner does put more emotion of her personal view into her books. This House of Grief, for example, you really felt like you were sitting with Helen you know, in the courtroom every day. And she would often say that she'd go home at night and crawl under the doona. And there was a lot of I, I, I with Helen, yep. um, which I love, but some people just think it's too much. It's it's not an impartial view. I feel with Chloe, it's more of an impartial. It's more of a journalist um, in, in the skilled hands of a journalist. So highly, highly recommend Chloe Hooper's The Arsonist. And if book clubs are looking for a non-fiction book, which many do, this is a really good one. Themes and issues, themes and issues, that's all I can say. It is a children's book of true crime, and I think it was her first novel, and it was a smash hit, and I I think that's what it was called. 
And it yes, was, it is. A child's book of true crime. Child, yeah, it's very, very good for a first novel. Caro, you have a recipe. Now, Corrie, the reason my recipe is Tony Mockbell themed is because... do That's you in very bad taste, do you Have think? you been reading the stories about his... Don't um, say skewered. It's skewered. Well, you know, you know how he was terrible. attacked in prison um, a few yes, days yes, ago. Yes. And his, we can't talk well, about he, it. He, he's criti- well, we can. <laughs> he was attacked by two young men celebrating a 21st birthday. They were islanders. And um, he has been boasting that he's going to get out because of the lawyer X scandal. I think he's critical but stable. But the weapon was concealed not in the pavlova, which was the birthday cake, but in a zucchini. Yes, it is true. I can't. It was a give. I don't know what it was called, but it was hidden in a zucchini, and that's how they got him. Brilliant. Which brings me I mean, to my so- recipe. Softish. You could poke something in there without disturbing <laughs> which, the external. Which brings me to my recipe, which Gosh, in a very timely just way. Got weird images of zucchinis. Clem, my brilliant places. My brilliant um, daughter uh, cooked up the other day um, because I was given your um, brilliant daughter, not just brilliant cook daughter. Brilliant daughter. Well, she's a brilliant cook. Of course, our children are brilliant. We always think that. I was given a giant zucchini the other day by a lovely lady, Liz, who um, I know, who just one day, zucchinis apparently two weeks ago went from the size of my sunglasses case to the size of um, an elephant, yeah, a a massive fish. Like they've just, in two weeks in in veggie gardens across Victoria, Corrie, across Australia. I know, darling Francesca and Charlie, they just can't keep up with them up in Ballarat. And in fact, if you read um, the Age newspaper's food section on Tuesday this week, there was a wonderful zucchini recipe. Now this is, uh, we're going to our friend Otto Lingi for this one. And we know, Corrie, he calls them courgettes because in the UK they call them courgettes. Oh, thanks, Um, Mum. Crushed courgettes. No, because I didn't have the book on me and I texted Brendan um, earlier and said, can you send me a photo of the zucchini recipe? I said, get out simple, go to Z in the – and he goes, there's no zucchini, there's only za'atar. And then I said, hang on, try courgette. Well, guess what? This is such a simple recipe and you're meant to use little courgettes. In fact, you meant to use three, well, three fairly large ones, but not as giant as the one I used. I just used one. Okay, let's move on. Come Dried on. mint, pickled thyme, picked thyme leaves, olive oil, a whole head of garlic, chopped mint as well as the dried mint, chopped dill, lemon juice, salt and pepper. Can it get any simpler? You, you just mix the courgettes in a bowl with the dried mint, the thyme, the salt and some black pepper. Then you transfer them to a baking dish. Um, you want them to form a single layer, Corey. You cut them up so they're slightly overlapping. You bake them for 15 minutes flat out in a 200 oven. Then you add the garlic cloves and um, you bake for another 15 minutes until the courgettes have softened and taken some colour. Put the whole lot into a colander, press them in so that they start to release some of that liquid, chuck out the liquid, and then you transfer the um, contents of the colander into a mixing bowl, squeeze the garlic cloves out of their skins chuck out the skins, mash it all together with a fork. Um, if it's still a bit tough, just cut it a bit. Stir in the mint leaves, the little dill and the lemon juice. Absolutely bloody divine. So can I ask you the shape of your zucchini slash courgette? Well. What shape are we doing? Well, it's like a. Are we slithers or are we doing oh, yeah, long yeah, pieces yeah. or are we doing little round discs? Miss Jane is going to put the picture in her in our show notes, but they're long Sort of yep. pencils of zucchinis. Right, right. So you just you cut top and tail the zucchini and then slice it right through. Well, you don't even top and tail them. You just slice it into about into halves or four, into okay. four maybe. Okay. Into you know, four sort of strips. Prettier, I think, than the disc shape, don't you? But then you smash them up a Can't bit. I so, believe I'm having this discussion. So they're like this beautiful blubby zucchini sort of mash. Sounds good, it's Carol. Absolutely beautiful. And I do love salt with a bit of vegetable, I have to say. I mean, oh, over, I mean summer, over summer I was doing a lot of salt on my tomatoes. Which I know is not great for your health reasons, but tiny bit of sugar, sugar on your tomatoes mm, no, brings out the flavour. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so what are we on to now? I'm grumpy, and I'm grumpy. You're grumpy again. Do you know I haven't been grumpy all this year? Well, that's not entirely true. You were grumpy about three weeks in a row, and I felt I needed to take over the mantle. <laughs> and it wasn't hard this week because I heard someone talking on radio, and then I read about the phenomenon that it is married at first sight. This is a horrible television show, and yet it is absolutely smashing the ratings. It has been a smash hit. These, Corrie, are not – there is nothing remotely nice or altruistic or positive about these people. They are trying to be famous, and they are using horrible behaviour and shallow, dumb, stupid 
um, absolute desecration of a ritual that means a lot to people by in doing so. And it is reality TV gone completely insane. It's like how I thought you didn't watch really. I haven't. I've only seen clips of it. I've heard clips on the radio. What's the premise of it? Well, you get married when you don't know each other, and then you just call. Then you just call. That's been happening in Greek and Jewish villages for three hundred years. You know what it's all about. It's just a horrible show. It's like how um, MasterChef started out the cooking reality show, and there were there were only moments of tension and meanness, and then they just erupted in MKR where there are these horrible, many horrible couples who just say horrible things to each other and the ratings are all about the fighting and the meanness. It is just, you know, we used to look up to our TV stars. You know, these used to be people we admired and loved. Oh, blankety blanks. And aspired to. Blankety blanks well, with Nolene Brown. Well, Doesn't Graham, get better Graham than that. Kennedy, Bert Newton. I mean, that, we don't look up to our TV stars, certainly not these ones anymore. It is just... It, it is just a horrible extension of reality TV. And what is so horrible and what makes me grumpy is that people are lapping it up. So take that, Mary, at grumpy. first sight. Take that. Now it's time for... Six quick questions. And, Caro, my question to you. I was fascinated to see that Barnaby Joyce had popped up as a columnist in your paper. Writing about books, wasn't it? <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Writing about the, the MUP, the Melbourne University Publishing board and CEO evacuation and the decision by University of Melbourne to turn back to academic publishing, which I just found bizarre because I thought, why am I agreeing with Barnaby Joyce? But is this a good or bad career move for Barnaby? Well, it's probably a good career move for Barnaby, but voting with my feet, I saw his name and I saw the article promoted and I didn't read it because I have absolutely zero respect for him and the way he's behaved. Mm, Credibility factor, a bit like Mark Latham. Mm, Agree with that. Now, our absolute hero, Wallace Stegner, 110 years ago today he was born. What's your favourite Wallace novel? Oh, Carol, I'd have to say the one that our book club voted on as the best we'd read in 20 years, the best book ever we'd read in 20 years, which was Crossing to Safety. So make a note, Potties, Wallace Stegner, S-T-E-G-N-E-R, was born 110 years ago, and his book Crossing to Safety he wrote late in life, and it's the story mostly told in flashback uh, of Larry Morgan and his wife Sally, who settle into their new home in Wisconsin as Larry begins uh, his life as a creative writing teacher at the university in English department. And there they befriend another couple, Sid and Charity Lang. And Sid and Charity also have academic and writing dreams of their own. And it's the years and years of friendship, the summer vacations spent together. The um, tragedies. The tragedies, the highlights. It's just two couples growing old together and all the tensions and the ties that bind. I love this book so much. It is. It's wonderful. So I, I recommend it highly. I will give a special mention to um, Angle of Repose, which I also love. He started good. late, but boy, was he pro- prolific, the yes, old Yes, and Wallace. won Pulitzer Prizes and all sorts of things. Caro, my question to you is, are you excited that John B. Fairfax has decided to invest in a new investigative journalism arm at Crikey.com. Well, he's joined forces with Eric Beecher, the publisher of Crikey. And I didn't know that John B. Fairfax had any money left. Well, he obviously does. And um, he said in an interview the other day that um, the Fairfax name, his removal and final departure from Fairfax was actually a relief and not a sadness. But he wants to invest, invest. I think anyone investigate, investing in investigative journalism has to be a good thing. And I don't know where it's going to go, Corrie, but I think money going into this branch of journalism and they're looking around the world for the best names is fantastic. So, yes, I am excited. Good. Corrie, what's the latest on the Prince Philip car scandal? Because you have followed this story with a fine tooth comb. I, speaking of investigative journalism, Caro, <laughs> you, John B. You, Fairfax, I'm here. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, I'm ready for my makeup. Um, Caro, the Duke of Edinburgh on the weekend surrendered his driver's license. He decided at the age he of 97, did. after being involved in a car crash that left a female driver injured, it was time to give it up. The palace statement said, after careful consideration, the Duke of Edinburgh has taken the decision to voluntarily surrender his driver's licence. UK police said, well, good on you, sir, uh, for doing that. Um, and it About will, bloody it, time, and I it, would say. But it will work in his favour when they make a decision on this case, the fact that he surrendered his licence willingly. Mm, there you go about that. <laughs> trying to just keep him out of the press there. Caro... This is such a relevant co- uh, conversation too. Is pesto still pesto without basil? 
Oh, well, a shout out to our, a cheerio, I hate shout out, a cheerio to our I friend. I hate that word, shout out. And fri- I hate I'm reaching out to you. Oh, oh PR know. people, stop saying it to me on Jeff emails. Flattery will be, will be some, wherever he is listening to this, he'll be twitching and getting angry because I think I talked last year about coriander or dill pesto and he sent me a very stern message. Coriander pesto, you know, it doesn't exist. It's like... Um, he used a football analogy, and I don't remember what it was. But um, oh yes, the Richmond Premiership wasn't really a premiership because um, saying the Richmond Premiership wasn't a premiership because they wore yellow jumpers with black stripes. I don't know why oh, that yeah. was an analogy, but anyway, he oh, doesn't. No, Richmond at heart is Richmond. Doesn't matter what they wear. He, he doesn't. Pesto think, is basil. Well, he says it's got to be basil. Of course, and, it does, but but I mean, what, what about Thai basil? No. I've got this huge amount of Thai basil, as Miss Jane, you've seen in my herb garden. Is that pesto? No, I think, you, I think it has it to called... be the true. And also the pick, remember to pick when you're picking your basil, pick the leaves, not stems. Good local tip there. Because if you pick the stems, you won't have regrowth. If you pick the leaves, you'll have regrowth. And pick and do it like a rose bush on the side. Yeah. Well, of course I don't. But I don't put oh, Some st- people just pull this, like a pull, pull a stem, you know, pull... Pull oh, their bunches yes. of stem. Oh, no, Pull I, the leaves off rather than strategically stems. cut them. But, yes, you do. But what I did do the other day, because I didn't have any pine nuts, I had all these macadamia nuts. So I roasted macadamia nuts instead of pine nuts. Now, is that, it was beautiful. I think that's probably okay. What do you think, Jane? Jane's nodding. We think you can get away with the macadamia nuts. Corrie, what's your GLT? The GLT is this, having done a bit of babysitting for the hungover family the other day. Here's my tip, Caro. Oh, a drinking a no, thing, no. A if, hangover cure. If, no? You, if you are having trouble getting your toddler to do something important like get into the pram, just video them with your iPhone, then show them the video of themselves. Toddlers are quite vain. <laughs> they love looking at other babies, so they think that it's actually maybe another baby. They, love, they? I, they love iPhone screens. They love them. But I, can I please say babies should not be looking at ice screens too often. You must limit and control their use. Really, really highly recommend that. Urge parents not to show children their iPhones too much. However, if you're having... Which so, if are clearly a tod- doing. If a to- well, if a toddler's having a tantrum, Carol, you know what it's like. Like anything will do. Give the kid the lolly. No. Give the kid the iPhone. F- record the child having the tanty and then show them and that de- deathly silence while you pick them up quietly and pop them into the pram. Wow. So this is like our friend who... Thank you, Laura Homewood, for that great tip. This is like our friend who, after his wife had given birth to their third child and said a week later, I I know I said we weren't going to have any more children, but I want to have a fourth, showed her the video of her giving birth to the third child, which he had secretly recorded. What an asshole. (laughs) All that... He just said, think again. Oh, that's a bit mean. Well, they didn't. Women, women mothers have a great a tendency to forget all this. Like, I forgot I forgot all those years of having toddlers, Caro. I do. Boy, am I back in this space right now. My, reckon, my recollection is, and they're Har- very... Harriet's a... favourite word at the moment is, uh-oh. <laughs> There's a lot of that happening at they're, the moment. Uh-oh. Oh, what yeah. have you done now, Hats? They're a Uh-oh. very, they're a very um, happily married couple, but she was a bit shocked. Did they have at the, the fourth time. child? No, they didn't. <laughs> but she was, she was a bit shocked at the time. I mean, no, the only thing is, I just can't bear it when I'm out now and I'm at a restaurant and I see anyone below the age of three gazing into an iPad or a mobile no. phone for long periods of time. And Cara, that's why in bookshops like mine, you'll see big sections of sticker books and colouring in books for the under threes. Like really simple books. Just take a book with you. It's just as much fun yes. rather than watching the wiggles for you know, hour upon hour. Like that pizza joint we all used to go to when they bring out the color they bring out the um they had a colouring thing instead of a placemat. Did and I tell kids, you that? And they'd bring over the bring over the set of pencils. I used to love that. Yeah, Har- Harriet Harriet picked up Checker's phone the other day. She, I'm not allowed to say what site she she got herself onto, but um Yes, it was connected with Checker friend, uh, professionally. So <laughs> just watch, yeah. just keep your iPhones away from oh, your kids, dear. is all I can say. Now, everybody, please tell all your family and friends to subscribe to our podcasts, including the book pod, which will be featuring Jane Caro. We will next week, our next special week, guest. Um, with my daughter Rose as your special guest. Yes, she'll be my but, guest on the book pod. On the book pod, which is 
What's the book that you're doing for that We're one? We're doing – well, you haven't read it. That's why you're not invited. The Lost Man by Jane Harper. Which I'm really – well, because Brendan's taking so long to finish but it. Your, but your your daughter it. has read it and said very worthy things. And I said, come on, Rose, you can be off the interchange bench and you're on. Yeah, she raved about that book. Please send us your feedback, your comments, your tips, your suggestions. We love them. To the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page. You can follow us on Instagram at Don't Shoot Pod. We tweet – just join at Don't Shoot Pod. You can email us on feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. We're a conglomeration. We're an industry, Corrie. Yes, but Caro, we, we, we're only as good as our sponsors, and we don't have a sponsor at the moment. So if anybody out there would like to back our show and support us, we would love to hear from you. So please contact Miss Jane via email. You don't have to pay very much money at all just to be part of the team. We'd love to see you. And Corrie... Don't shoot the messenger, Carol. Hi, this is Leanne Moriarty. Hi, I'm Anne Summers. I'm Jen Harper. Hello, this is Laura Tingle. Hi, I'm Marcus Suzak. I'm David Maher. Join me on The Book Pod. I hope you can join Cory Perkin and I on The Book Pod. And I think also people often completely underestimate if something is easy to read, they think that means it's easy to write and it's absolutely not. It's such a skill. Always, no matter how abstract the issue, you have to find the narrative and you have to find characters and around those you build the story. You know, some authors take a decade to write a book I would miss the meeting the readers. Subscribe to the book pod. Subscribe to the book pod. In your favourite podcast app. Wherever you listen to podcasts.